We're going to talk tonight about the southern kingdom. Last time we talked about the northern kingdom and uh, not really a terrible, much, terrible lot of time, almost 200 years of the, of the northern kingdom before it fell. Uh, just slightly more than 200 now that, I, now that I do the math real quick, just over 200 years. But the southern kingdom lasted a good bit longer. And um, the reason for that is because some of the southern kings were actually honoring to God. Now, we think, and you probably, if you went to a Christian school or if you were in a Sunday school class where the teacher was that kind of style teacher, you've probably been told there were good kings and there were bad kings. And, you thought, and you've probably thought about it as like an either or. But it, I want you to think more in terms of a spectrum, Okay. Some kings are better than others. Some kings are really, really bad. Some kings are really, really good. Some kings are really good to a point and then they become worse. Some kings are really bad until they uh, repent late in life. In fact, we'll, we'll talk about this as we go along. But some kings start one way and then go the other way. Uh, some kings are, are fairly well established. Some kings are, are good, but they make some bad mistakes. Other kings are downright evil. Don't think of this just as bipolar, where you're either on the good side or the bad side. However, to, um, to kind of help you identify which kings had been typically approved by God, that, that they did well, that scripture gives us an account that says that this king honored God, I've underlined those names on this list. So as you're reading through, you see a name to underline, you know that's a generally good king. Now, again, this is a spectrum. It's not all good kings are the same. Some are much better than others. But this gives you an idea to kind of quickly look and say, okay, we're talking about a king that was honoring to God, at least in, in general. You know, may, they may have made mistakes. They may have done some bad things, but, but just keep that in mind. One other thing I want you to keep in mind. While I don't list everything on here, um, my goal is to give you a big picture of the whole period of time. So I'm going to highlight the key events, and I'm especially going to highlight it on the kings that reign longer and the kings that are honoring to God. Though we'll talk about some bad ones tonight too. Okay, So, so most of what you'll see on here is just to give you an idea of the major things. All right, here we go. When the two kingdoms split, Rehoboam... Uh, was Solomon's son. He was the one to take the throne and the northern tribes came to him under the direction of Jeroboam and, and they appealed to him, please lighten our load. We have too much in taxes. There's, there's such heavy work uh, that we have to do uh, under your, that we had to do under your father. Please lighten our load. And Rehoboam, with the advice of his friends, decides, no, I'm not going to lighten your load. I'm going to make it even worse. And they say, fine, we're gone. So now we have two kingdoms. Rehoboam initially was really mad and was going to go to war to keep the two sides together. But a prophet of God told him, don't do that. God doesn't want that. And so Rehoboam, to his credit, stops and doesn't go to war. And now we have two kingdoms. He is the first king of the south uh, of this divided kingdom. And a lot of his time was dealing with the north. 
There weren't exactly, it wasn't open warfare, but there was a lot of strategizing, a lot of fortifying cities, a lot of trying to move goods and services and, and things to, there was a jockeying of position in the tribe of Benjamin because Benjamin originally was kind of one of those in between and it's just a few miles from Jerusalem into Ephraim, which is uh, the tribe where Samaria would eventually be built. And so because they were that close to the north, Benjamin was a heavily uh, disputed over region and, and residents in Benjamin weren't exactly, they were still trying to figure out which way are we going to go. There's more, they go more toward the north at the beginning, but they end up kind of following in line with the south. And so you, you, get, a, you get that kind of border uh, a state between two warring factions with the tribe of Benjamin. But Rehoboam is spending much of his time worried about the threat from the north, worried about the north getting strong militarily and attacking the south and overcoming it. And so he spends a lot of time trying to fortify his defenses. That's much of his regency. He wasn't considered a good king. He did fall away from God. He worshiped false gods. And so his son, Abijam, takes over in 913. And Abijam, well, he pretty much follows his father's suit. But then in 910, there comes a new king named Asa. Asa is one of those good kings. He reforms um, the religious practices of Judah. He gets rid of idols. He stops the sacred prostitution that was going on in the temples of these false gods. He removes uh, uh, his grandmother, uh, Rehoboam's wife, was had heavy influence and she was worshiping Asherah. Um, if you've ever, if you run across the Bible, the term Asherah poles, Asherah was kind of the queen goddess, the wife of Baal. Okay? And so these poles, almost like totem poles, would be erected to, to worship Asherah. He gets rid of those. He, um, Try, tries to get rid of all of them, but doesn't quite get rid of all of them. He doesn't remove all the high places, but he does a lot to restore temple worship. And so he is generally considered a good king. Probably his biggest uh, foible, though, is that um, Baasha in the north was attacking. And instead of relying on God, instead of trusting God, instead of seeking God's will, he calls up the king of Aram Damascus, then Hadad, and get support from a foreign entity. And so he is, he is reprimanded for that. But generally, Asa was a good king. And his son Jehoshaphat walked in his steps. Yes, Jehoshaphat was a real name. I didn't just make it up, Mitchell. I call James sometimes uh, uh, this long name. I, I created names for him and Mitchell that have the, their first letter, several words in a row. And so one of the one of the one of the parts on James's name is jumping Jehoshaphat. So um, I didn't make up that name. This is a real name. His name actually means God will judge. And he takes over, and he is the first king who is a co-regent with his father. So what Asa decides to do, he's at war with Baasha. He's worried that he's going to get killed in war. And so in not, in eight seventy three, Asa crowns Jehoshaphat as a co-regent. So the two are both king at the same time. Asa's away at war. Jehoshaphat handles things at home. If something happens to Asa, it's a clear succession. This is something that many of the southern kings would do. And eventually northern kings would start to do as well, but it would take them a lot longer. 
Jehoshaphat establishes peace with Israel. At this time, uh, after Baasha was assassinated, Omri becomes king over the northern kingdom of Israel. And it's a time of prosperity. So they make peace. They sign treaties with each other and, and they do peace. One of the problems that comes from that is that there's a, a bit of a creeping in of idol worship and things like that from the north. And so he has to institute reforms like removing high places. Wait a minute, didn't the last king remove high places? No, he didn't. His reforms didn't go all the way. So Jehoshaphat tries to carry them even further, removing the high places and, and ending the, the cultic practices that Asa didn't get rid of. He established Levites throughout the, throughout the land as teachers of the law, something that they were commanded to do originally, but apparently they had become lax. And so he starts that back up. He institutes uh, uh, legal procedures according to the Mosaic Law. And so he establishes courts. He's, he's really a, a good administrative kind of king building the infrastructure of righteousness within Judah. And he fortifies cities uh, as well. Before he dies, about five years before he dies, he, he, um, he, he appoints Jehoram as his successor. Jehoram is married to a terrible woman. In fact, if you look a couple down, you'll see her name in this list. She's the only queen in, in the list. And she, she, was a, she was a Baal worshiper and did everything she could, not only to worship Baal, but to make others do it too. He reversed much of the good work of his father and grandfather. In fact, he did something that I don't think any of the other kings of Judah did. And I, I'm not even sure that any of the kings of Israel went this far, except maybe Ahab. I, I don't think he quite went this far. He killed all his brothers to make sure he had a clear uh, reign, that there would be no challenges from family. I have a feeling that uh, his wife, Athaliah, excuse me, um, had a lot to do with that. Uh, you'll see why in a minute. Not only does he do that, uh, one of his sons survives him. Uh, the rest were captured in, in battle with the Philistines. The Philistines and the Arabians went to war against Judah and uh, they captured all of his sons except for Ahaziah. Ahaziah ends up ruling uh, when Jehoram is killed and he doesn't rule very long, less than a year before he, he dies, and then Athaliah becomes queen. Athaliah, it's hard to underestimate. She had lost, um, she had lost her family through um, exploits in other, other countries. And instead of uh, her heart going out to, to those who, who would lose loved ones, Instead, I think she becomes very bitter because she ends up not only, not only probably influencing her husband to kill all his brothers, she ends up killing all her grandchildren. Yeah. There's one that survives. He's a baby named Joash. And he survives because, um, he survives because a family member, a nurse, takes him and hides him in the temple. Eventually, she's killed. She's captured and killed. 
and Joash is made king at the ripe old age of seven. Can you imagine that? Mitchell, can you imagine being made king? Mitchell's 10. Can you imagine what that'd be like if someone just said, you're the new king? No? I can imagine You can imagine that? Yeah, you're the new queen. Yeah. <laughs> you, would, you would think a seven-year-old wouldn't quite be ready, uh, but he had the high priest, um, Jehoiada, and Jehoiada really influenced him for God. So Joash becomes one of the better kings of Israel's history, at least for the start. In fact, he starts this this hundred year stint where there are four straight godly kings. Joash does, which is a good thing because as bad as Athaliah was before him, uh, it's it. We need we need some major reforms, and that's what he would do. One of the things that she did was destroy many of the temple elements, the things that were used in the worship of God. She shut the temple doors, in fact, locked people out so they couldn't worship God the right way. Joash ends up reopening the temple, destroying the, the temple to Baal, the altars and the images. He killed the main Baal prophet uh, and, and made repairs to the temple. Unfortunately, he, like Asa, didn't go all the way. He didn't destroy the high places. And so people were still worshiping Baal at those places. But he made a lot of strides to reintroduce uh, the worship of God back into Judah. After the high priest dies, however, he begins to turn. Remember how I said this is a spectrum? The first part of Joash's reign, he, he, is, he is honoring God. But once the high priest is gone he begins to fall into Baal worship himself. He ends up being assassinated by a group of conspirators. Now, in the north, when someone's assassinated, a new dynasty tends to take over. But in the south, it's the same dynasty. It's always the Davidic line. In this case, it was his son, Amaziah, that becomes king. There's not much listed in the Bible uh, for Amaziah, but he is listed as following God. Uh, one note of exception is given in the Bible, and that is that he sought after the gods of Edom. And so he began to worship false gods too. Even, ironically, after he defeated Edom. Normally, if you defeat somebody, my God, if I defeat you, my God is better than your God. So why would I worship your God? Your God couldn't protect you. But he instead takes Edom's God. This is how, this is how Tough it is to stay true to God. The people are willing to worship false gods that are defeated head on. They don't care. They'll still worship the false god anyway. That's how tough it is for us as people to stay on the right path. Anyway, Amaziah um, was victorious against Edom, but Jehoash in, in the north defeated him and took him captive. Uh, un until his death. And so, while he was still alive, in fact, just six years after he started his reign, uh, Azariah, also known as Uzziah, they're, both names are used in the Bible, uh, reigned with him. Uh, so from 790 to 767, there's two kings in Israel. In fact, it's not even two kings that... Um, yeah, it's two kings there. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. So Uzziah takes the, takes the reins just six years into Amaziah's reign, uh, but he's co-reigning for a long period of time. 
while he is king, Jeroboam II is king in the north. And so if you take what Jeroboam has recaptured for Israel and you take what Uzziah recaptures for Judah, you end up with a kingdom that's the same size as the days of David and Solomon. This was a prosperous time uh, in the promised land. Wouldn't last long, but he was a good king, generally. Um, but then he got leprosy. And 2 Chronicles 26 tells us the story. He goes and he takes the role of the priest by offering sacrifices on the altar that only the priest should be offering. And God punishes him with leprosy. So he goes into exile in the year 750, which is when Jotham, the fourth of these good kings, comes to reign. There was a lot of religious complacency because of the prosperity. I mean, things are good. People don't look for God when things are good. People turn to God when bad things are happening or when, when there's a crisis. People turn to God when there's difficulty. Just, just, just watch. Watch over history. And you can, you can look. Go back to, I don't know, let's say September 16th, 2001. The first Sunday after. Don't even do that. Go to September 12th. Wasn't that a Wednesday? Wasn't 11th a Tuesday? Do I remember that correct? So, so whatever that, whatever that, that, that first church day, I believe that was a Tuesday. So on a Wednesday, I think that's correct. I may not be correct. Okay, thank you. My expert. Churches were packed that day. Why? Crisis. Crisis. People turn to God in bad times, but in good times they turn away. That's why Deuteronomy over and over and over warns the people of Israel. Now you're going to get into the land and you're going to forget about me. You're going to get in there and you're going to experience the land flowing with milk and honey and you're going to live in houses you didn't build and, and, and eat the fruit of crops you didn't plant and you're going to forget me and I'm going to punish your sin. That's, by the way, where that promise, uh, uh, then you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with your whole heart. That, that's the context of that promise. And likewise, that's what happens in the, in, during the reign of Jotham. There's such prosperity that the people just become complacent. And so a prophet by the name of Isaiah arises. Isaiah, if you read through the book of Isaiah, you'll see time and time again, he calls them not to be complacent with their faith, not, not to do the wicked deeds and worship false gods that are not gods at all. He comes, he, he begins his ministry at this point. Jotham has a son named Ahaz. Ahaz breaks the streak of good kings. He, uh, he not only supports Baal worship, he also shuts the temple doors and damages many of the vessels that are used in the temple. He, he is uh, not very good politically either. He, he is um, besieged by Pekah and Rezin, and so he seeks help from Assyria instead of trusting in God. Um, this is, by the way, when the fall of Samaria happens. I can understand wanting to be on Assyria's good side when they just took over your neighbor directly to the north. I can understand that. My human side understands that. But Ahaz isn't doing it um, just to be in Assyria's good graces. 
He's doing it because he doesn't trust God. So Isaiah, and now he's joined by another prophet, Micah. Micah of Morsheth begins to prophesy against Judah's excesses in idolatry. 728, Hezekiah becomes king. Again, many of these dates overlap because there's a lot of passing it along to the son while the, while the father is still alive. Hezekiah is, is on the much further end of the good side of the spectrum. He, he restores Yahweh worship. He reopens the temple, uh, repairing what's damaged. In fact, bringing in new articles to be used. So he's donating new stuff and, and bringing in new objects to be used. He removes the, the objects that are used in foreign cults. He, he removes the high places. He even reinstates Passover, which hadn't been practiced in a long time. Hezekiah's religious fervor uh, probably is because he's listening to guys like Isaiah and Micah. He probably looked up north where they're getting taken over by Assyria and said, I don't want to make that mistake. I'm seeing what my father's doing and he's, he's not getting it. But Hezekiah gets it. During Hezekiah's day, um, he, he rebels against Sennacherib, who is the king of Assyria. And so and that was in 705. By 701, they are besieging Jerusalem. And it looks like the city is going to fall, but he relies on God. And this is where a plague, we don't know if it's mice that get into the camp or it's some kind of some kind of divine intervention by some means. There's tons and tons of Assyrian uh, soldiers dead. They're all confused. They're running all over the place. They're escaping away from Jerusalem, uh, uh, not having gotten to the city. Of course, the Assyrian records don't tell all that. They, they mention Hezekiah that he was pinned up like a bird in a cage. Basically, they had surrounded just uh, just beginning to see Jerusalem when this happens. In fact, um, in order to protect the city, Hezekiah very wisely, and I gotta say, pretty impressively, has a tunnel built that's about a third of a mile long to get water into the city that's protected. The, salt, the, the, the workers started on each end, and now they didn't have lasers and, and GPS and, and precise sort of positioning. But these guys built a tunnel about a third of a mile long, starting on each end, and they met together. And there's a little bit of a jag, a little bit of, a little bit off, but it ain't much. It's an impressive feat of engineering. I wish I could tell you there were more good kings. There's one more, but not yet. Because the I think I can fairly safely say the worst king of Judah is Manasseh. Manasseh takes everything Hezekiah does and throws it out the window. He was the longest ruling king, 55 years in his reign. And man, he heaped up problems upon problems, idols upon idols, wickedness upon wickedness. In fact, it's because of Manasseh that God decrees that Judah will fall. One thing that we don't often talk about with this king, though, that I think is important is that late in his life, he repents. And we don't know quite the extent that that repentance showed up. 
We don't know exactly how much he did. He didn't really remove idols or high places or anything like that. But just at the end of life, just within the last couple of years, he repents. I think that plays a role. Ammon, his son, rules for two years. He's a terrible king, continues in uh, Manasseh's terrible ways. And then Josiah becomes king. I don't know. I can't say for sure. I, I can't specifically identify and say this is absolutely the point where it happened. And this is exactly how Josiah becomes a godly king. But I honestly believe that Manasseh, late in life, after he repents, begins to try to influence this boy. Josiah's only eight when he takes the throne. He'd only been six when Manasseh dies. But I can picture him sitting on his knees saying, don't make the mistakes I made. Don't do what I did. I can, in fact, picture Manasseh starting to bring better um, advisors and counselors into the court. And some of them still being around when Josiah became king. I wonder how much of an impact that repentance of that old grandfather planted the seed for Josiah's reign. I don't know for sure. Speculation. Read, read between the lines here. But I know if I repented of sin late in life and I had some grandkids, I'd sure want to do everything I could for them. Amon, he was gone. It, it was too late for him. But Josiah, maybe I can, maybe I can have something to influence him the right way. He is the only person in the entire Old Testament. There are several times where God gives the command, do not turn to the right nor to the left. Josiah is the only one that it says, did not turn to the right or to the left. He rebuilt the temple. Man, there's a lot of rebuilding the temple. Why don't y'all just stick with God and not let the temple fall apart? <laughs> not destroy the temple. It's a lot of rebuilding the temple. He removed the high place. In fact, it's in the rebuilding efforts that they find a book of the law. And he begins to reinstitute some of the practices that they hadn't been practicing. He, he has basically, um, if I could put it this way, national revival under Josiah. Now, did all the people follow God perfectly? No, absolutely not. But Josiah was a king that at the top, he wants to make sure that God is worshipped and praised in Judah. He, he, he even did these in the northern kingdom. Assyria was backing off um, in 612, I think it was, Nineveh Falls to Babylon. And so Josiah has a period here where Assyria doesn't have a whole lot of influence. And so perhaps he's trying to bring the north back together with the south. Uh, it's kind of debatable on whether he's doing that or not. He ends up dying by uh, in fighting uh, the Egyptian pharaoh Nico um, in 609. During Josiah's um, reign, God promises that he will extend the life of Judah. So I was going to destroy it. Basically, he says to Josiah, but because of your faithfulness, I'm going to do it after your days. I'm, I'm not going to do it while you're king. Jeremiah begins his ministry in this point. Habakkuk does a major part of his ministry 
in Josiah's reign. Zephaniah and Nahum also are ministering at this time. In fact, uh, with that many good prophets around, it's no wonder Josiah is doing what's right. He's hearing God's word on a regular basis. After Josiah comes Jehoahaz. Jehoahaz hardly reigns at all before he is killed. Joachim becomes king in 609. And then in 597, he takes Jehoiakim captive, takes him to Babylon, along with a lot of, of princes and nobles and, and some, of the, some of the most astute leaders of the land, included are Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, all go during this captivity. Many others do as well. Jehoiachin is placed as the ruler in, uh, um, by Babylon, uh, is placed as the ruler in Judah, and then he's killed like a month later. So he didn't last long. Zedekiah is then set up, his brother, and after a few years, he starts originally, you know, Babylon, the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, is the one that puts him in power, so he's kind of favorable to Nebuchadnezzar. But you know what's coming, right? A couple years later, he decides, I don't want to pay tribute anymore. Nebuchadnezzar says, are you sure? They start besieging Jerusalem, and in 586, the city falls. By the way, on one day a year, the anniversary of the fall of Jerusalem, Jews read the book of Lamentations to remember. It's called Shabbat. I, I don't know exactly when it is this year, but every year that comes around, they read that book. That's one of the one, one of the feasts that's held annually, not feasts, commemorations, I guess I should say, because it's not a day of feasting, it's a day of repentance and brokenness. Well, that's it for the southern kingdom. Next time we'll talk about life in Babylon and exile. We'll see the prophet Ezekiel by the river Kebar. Boy, boy, does he have some interesting things to say. We'll see... Uh, Daniel and his story unfold. Esther's story will unfold, especially during the Persian period is when her story unfolds. We'll see people returning after the exile is over to rebuild the city, rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls. Nehemiah, Ezra during that time. Uh, uh, Zephaniah is, uh, or Zechariah, excuse me, Haggai, Malachi. We'll meet all of those guys in the final session of the series uh, and get them all back in. But for now, um, I think if we, if we were to look grand scheme at the southern nation of Judah, what we'd find are two basic truths. Number one, you can have a good king, but it doesn't change what's in people's hearts. Sometimes we say, oh, well, if we could get Washington, D.C. straight, if we could get Montgomery straight, if we could get the capital straight, or we could get the politicians straight, or if we could get the government right, then everything would be much better. And there's a lot of truth to that, right? We recognize that if our government is recognizing God and putting him in his proper place, then that would be a lot better for us. But it doesn't mean that just because Washington, D.C. is right doesn't mean that we're going to be right with God. It's something that has to happen both and. We need to be devoted to God. And we need to expect our leaders 
Vote for leaders. Encourage our leaders to follow after God too. The second thing I notice is it's really hard to get idols out once they get in. Did you notice how many times temples were being rebuilt? Eight of the 19 kings are specifically mentioned by God as being good. And every single one of them, even the ones that had been in place after a good king still had to restore the temple, still had to destroy the high places, still had to get rid of the idols, still had to abolish the idol worship, still had to reinstitute what God had commanded his people to do. Did you notice that? Man, once those idols take root, they do not go easily. And so the lesson for us is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. See, it's not just about the Asherah poles and the temples on top of high places. It's about the heart turning away from God. And if Judah teaches us anything, there's no room in here but for one God. And when we put another one in instead, ironically, there is no room for the right God and we still feel empty. When Judah comes out of exile, they won't be worshiping false gods anymore. Unfortunately, it took them exile to learn the lesson. Father, help us learn the lesson a lot easier. Father, help us not outsource righteousness because we're not in place of leadership. Help us not expect the president or the Congress or the courts or the leaders, the bosses, the managers, the well-respected, the well-to-do. Help us not outsource righteousness to them and act as though they need to get right, but we're okay where we are. Help us not, help us not take a lazy position before you but help us work to be righteous every day. Father, we know we can't be righteous apart from you, but we also know that with you empowering us, we can be better than we have been. So God, you do the work in us. Father, I also pray that we wouldn't let the idols take hold, that we not give them a place in our hearts. And if they do get in, or if they've already been in, and it's too late to stop them from coming in, I pray that you would help us clean them out. Leave no trace. Father, I pray that we would be fully and completely submitted to you, worshiping you, adoring you, loving you, praising you, serving you, and you alone. Thank you for all you've done for us. Help us live for you these days. In Christ's name, amen.